comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audiblechild.com slash outnowpodcast. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your Android, iPhone, Kindle, or MP3 player. This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're talking best and worst so far of 2014. How many best? Uh, you know, about five. No, seven. That's a voice. Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe! Hello, friends! Out Now is a film podcast. Today, Abe and I are discussing new movies weekly. However, every now and then, we like to have these special bonus episodes, whether it be one of our fun commentaries or something else completely different. And that's just what this is. It's something else completely different. In honor of our 4th of July weekend celebration that we're having right now, even though this podcast comes out on Tuesday, we figured... After discussing Transformers 4, Transformers, colon, Age of Extinction, we figured, <laughs> why, not, why not talk about, like, a, a heap of good movies? Like, as much as we could have talked about Tammy and Deliver Us From Evil, which I'll do in just a bit, uh, we were thinking, I don't think we need a whole episode on either of those movies, and given how positive we seem to be on Transformers as opposed to the rest of the world last week, we figured, why not take a step back and look at some of the, you know, much better movies that we've seen this year? Which is why we are doing a Best of the Year So Far show. We're going to do our top seven favorite movies of the year so far, and a few worst as well. So yeah, that's the plan. Uh, throwing it back, is just Dave and I. This is an old school recording, I guess. Not really old school, but if you listen to episodes one through eight, I'm pretty sure you'd, you'd just recognize that it's just Aaron and I. But hey, we have good chemistry and good rapport with each other. Right, Aaron? Huh? What? Huh? I said we have good rapport with each other, right? Rappert? So yeah, we're going to do our uh, best and worst of the year so far. That's the plan. Abe and I doing it up. And uh, before we get to all that, let's get to some announcement stuff here real quick. Uh, we have a new commentary up, The Planet of the Apes commentary. It's the original 1968 version starring Charlton Heston. Um, friends of the show, Brandon Peters and Jim Dietz, and I sat down and watched Planet of the Apes and talked about it at length and plenty of other things as well just related to that topic, such as Heston's career and sci-fi of the 70s and the, the franchise and whatnot. And of course, that's coming. That comes out because we'd have Dawn of the Planet of the Apes coming out this coming week. Um, so yeah, feel free to check that one out. It's a lot of fun, as always, because we like having fun in our commentaries, but also info packed. Plus, features the voice Jim Dietz. Yes. Uh, and speaking of which, uh, we did have our Batman commentary come up a few weeks ago, and I meant to mention this before, but we got a lot of nice words uh, shared with us about our Batman commentary. A lot of people were happy to share some stories, share some compliments and whatnot, praising the uh, the film and just you know what. Well, Myself, Abe, and friends of the show, Scott Mendelson and Brandon Peters, had to say about Batman 89. Um, we were very happy about that. It was a fun commentary to do. So. It was a fun commentary to do. I learned a lot. Scott Mendelson has, uh, you know, he's got some, some knowledge on there, primarily because he was born before we were. Yeah, that helps. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that's uh, all well and good. Plenty of commentary stuff going on. Not saying he's old. No, he is. We can, we can say he's old. He listens. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah. The uh, plan is that we will be doing a commentary every month at this point, just because they are fun to do and people seem to like them a lot. And uh, so, yeah, coming up in August, we will have our Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles commentary. That is the uh, the plan. That should be fun. That's going to be a fun one. Yeah. yeah. And with that said, 
You can find those commentaries, those are all of our episodes on iTunes, where you can leave us a review or rating. It'd be nice to get one of those. Very simple to do. Helps out our show. Helps other people find our show. You just log on to iTunes and you, you know, give us a star rating. Maybe type out a sentence or so. It'd just be, we'd be very happy to receive one. A sentence. A sentence. Not much, but we'll be happy to get it. You know, we're building a, a nice steady throw, flow of, uh, of, uh, of reviews and ratings on there. So it's, you know, nice to... Reviews there. Yeah. yeah. Well, that said, let's, uh, let's move on now. Let's get to Adam Quiggies. Yep. Generally, we talk about one main movie of the week, but we're not doing that this week, but we do have a subject called Echo Cookies. Yeah. Yeah. Nailed Jeez, that. Aaron. Yeah. Can't you go any faster? I could. <laughs> yeah, since <laughs> we're like not talking someday. Since we're not talking about one main movie of the week, um, I figure we kind of extend our uh, quickies, because I know I've seen a number of things, but before I get to mine, Abe, did you see anything else this week? I have not, because I was traveling a little bit to go to Fresno for the uh, 4th of July. So yeah, it's a good I thing was... you're specific. I think the listeners really wanted to know that you were in Fresno for the Fourth of July. Uh, that is, I mean, where else would you go, right? I think you and I just talked about this. That's that should be the motto. That should be on the yeah. sign for Fresno. Where else would you go but Fresno? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's catchy. We'll we'll bring it up to the mayor. On the yeah, back of that so. sign, it's like a question mark with a guy going Riverside. <laughs> um, but no, I unfortunately was not able to see anything else this weekend yet. Okay, weekend's not over. Yeah, I've seen a few things. Um, so I saw Tammy, the Melissa McCarthy joint. and With her uh, husband? With her husband, who co-wrote and directs. I feel like I've been on record as saying that I haven't been a fan of Melissa McCarthy's like, lead movies, because I didn't like The Heat, and I didn't bother with Identity Thief, just because everything about that trailer made me want to like throw myself <laughs> out a window. But um, Glad you didn't. Tammy, while not good, it's still not a good movie. Um, it has its moments of laughs, and what, and I think you'll like this, Abe, what it reminded me of was Nebraska, actually. How? Because it's a very sad comedy. It's, like, less, like, it Aww. has, it has its antics, <laughs> it, like, it has those, like, Melissa McCarthy antics in it, and, like, she and Susan Sarandon are actually yeah. a good team, like, it makes it at least watchable, but... At its heart, like, it's yeah. about lonely people and how they haven't accomplished much of their lives. And it's like, it, it hits you in moments where you're like, huh, there's some emotional heft in this movie that I was surprised to find. Uh, that makes me sad already. Yeah, well, it's still not a good Apparently movie. Really because they're, so. they're going, like, comedy brand. And then, I guess if you're watching it, you're going you're gonna to be sad. And you'll be like, wow, this is a, a sad movie. I am depressed, and I will never make fun of Melissa McCarthy ever again. It still ha- like, it has its, like, it has its broad comedy moments and things, and, and it has a great cast, actually, but yeah, like, it just, I wasn't laughing very much at the, at the what the broader humor was supposed to be, but, like, mm. buried underneath was like, there's actually, like, a movie about this character that's really sad that I kind of... And they full-on address that? No, that's why I said buried underneath, but, um... Ah, uh, uh, buried. Uh. It does have uh, Mark Duplass in there, who, um... Is a Everyone nice, loves Mark Duplass. He's a nice counterbalance, actually. He provides this kind of all similarly lonely guy that kind of has a relate to strikes up a relationship with Tammy's character, which uh, yeah. So whatever. But Tammy, not that great, but kind of a sad story. I mean, it's by default my favorite Melissa McCarthy-led movie so far because I didn't hate it like The Heat and I did not see it like Identity Thief. So there's that. Mm-hmm. But I still didn't like the movie. So there. Let's see. I saw Deliver Us from Evil. Ah, yes. Eric Bana's new movie. Eric Bana film from Scott Derrickson, who directed Sinister. And um, this one was neat. I like this movie. Um, it's it's kind of a hybrid between exorcism movies and a procedural thriller, which I enjoyed. It uh, has Eric Bana. It's like the true life story of this guy who encountered kind of paranormal activities. And I think he's uh, or Sergeant Ralph. Ralph Sarchi. Sarchi? Yeah. yeah. And, um, Sarchi. 
yeah, he has a New Jersey accent. It's great. Um, and Joel McHale, oh, Joel McHale, <laughs> Joel McHale's in it as his partner who like wields knives. Joel McHale's a cop. Yeah, and he wields knives. It was impressive. What I liked about this movie is that it feels very pulpy. Like all the dialogue and the way the characters are handled, it feels very old school, old fashioned. It just feels sti- it feels I stylized. If they meant to do it that way. I, do, I don't. I can't imagine the film not being done that way on purpose. Like it just feels okay. so over. They'll the- be like, wow, they they probably just wrote a, a terrible script, but it comes off as pulpy. Or they meant to do it that I just, way. I don't. I just don't see wanted. that. Yeah, I can't see you like looking at the film. Like while filming it and be like, man, I really crushed that dialogue. Like it feels like it's very, it feels like it's stylized on purpose, mixed with the kind of atmosphere that Scott Derrickson provides, which is what I liked about Sinister. Even though I didn't love the movie, I still liked what he kind of how it was made and like the look of it and whatnot. Yeah, was very much present here. It's obvious, it's not very new in terms of what it's doing, but it, it is a nice kind of genre blend because that has that kind of cop drama aspect mixed with the horror stuff, which yeah. Uh, which is fine. Like I, I thought it was entertaining. It's little. It's too long. Like it's almost two hours when it doesn't need to be. It could be like a good twenty minutes shorter. When it doesn't need to be. Yeah. Yeah. But um, it's. How's our boy Eric Bana? Eric Bana's great. Eric Bana is like one of the actors where I feel like, regardless of the movie, he always commits. And I would agree with that. And even with I that said, I, it's it's not like he makes many you know terrible movies either. Like there's only a handful that I'd say like are not good movies. But regardless, I think Eric Bana, regardless of the film, he's all he's a guy that shows up all the time. Oh yeah, but that's Deliver Us from Evil. Mm-hmm. Um, I also saw two documentaries. Um, one you went, you went crazy this week. Yeah, why not? Yeah, Independence Day. Uh, <laughs> I right. Saw, I saw Jodorowsky's Dune, um, which I know a lot of friends of the show have actually seen already and have been very positive on, uh, especially uh, Brandon Peters and Jim Dietz. And I was very happy to also really, really enjoy this movie. This movie is about this European filmmaker, Alejandro. Yodorowsky, who has made a lot of cult films from the 70s, and he was supposed to make a film adaptation of Dune, the Frank Herbert novel. Mm-hmm. Um, that movie never came to be, but the like the movie, it goes over his just very ambitious ideas, which included having a Pink Floyd soundtrack, having um, a number of actors, Mick Jagger, um, David Carradine, and uh, not even an actor, but um, um, uh, Dolly, uh, Sal- uh, what's it, uh, Dolly, um, Dolly, Sal- Salvador Dolly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was like Dolly and, Parton and, and Orson Welles, um, along with like some like a bunch of artwork by a lot of famed um, kind of production designers and artists from films like H.R. Geiger, who did the alien designs and a lot of other things. Uh, but it's the, it was this like massive idea for a movie that just never came to be, just for a lot of various reasons. But the movie goes over this entire story, which is awesome. Like it's, it has a lot of interviews and it's just really fascinating. And you see a lot of storyboards that looked gorgeous. And you, yeah. it has a great soundtrack that goes with it, just that really kind of gets that mood across. And you, and the main guy Alejandro Jodorowsky, who's going to direct it, like he's just fascinating. He just he, he, the way he tells his stories and the enthusiasm he has is just really makes it really fascinating. And plus, you know, always hearing hearing movies about movies uh, generally excites me in any way. So that was just a really good watch for anyone that loves documentaries, especially. It's a it's a good one to check out. And How long is the documentary? Is it as long as Dune? Uh, no, no. Yeah, nothing's as long as noon. That's like eight <laughs> hours. Uh, no, it's like ninety minutes. Okay. And speaking, yeah, it's, like, it's like perfect timing for a documentary. It depends on the documentaries. I mean, you love hoop dreams, sure. and that's three hours. Hoop dreams is three hours, and I love it. Yes. <laughs> um, speaking of hoop dreams and documentaries, um, we have the movie. Huh? Li- we have the movie Life itself. Um, this yes. is from director Steve James, who directed Hoop Dreams, and is of course about Roger Ebert, um, about his life, 
um, from you know when he started out as a as a newspaper writer and into you know the late stages of career where he then you know passed away last year. And um, this is a very good documentary. It's really good, really touching. It made me emotional. Um, it's just very well done all the way around. It has a lot of interviews. Has a lot of footage of Ebert in the last stages of his life, which is can be hard to watch. It just goes over how he, you know, where his career took him. And it has a lot of uh, talk about Gene Siskel as well. And that was that was a pairing that I was like, you know, I was very fond of watching on television back in the day. Same so it's it yeah. nice, it nice to hear a lot about, you know, that relationship as well. And uh, yeah, I know Life itself. That's currently on VOD now. Um, as well as in something I saw it in theaters. I was happy that it was playing near me, so I was, I was able to see it in the theater. But um, yeah, so that's available now. Uh, Tammy and the River Supreme Evil there in theaters. Obviously, Jodorowsky's Dune is coming out on Blu-ray and DVD this week. And uh, yeah, so that's a uh, that's what I've been watching this week. That was that. Yeah, it was that week's. Yeah. Let's move on now. <laughs> uh, we're gonna get into um, you know, what our our best ofs for the year are. And before we do that, let's do. We're going to kind of lace in feedback here just to hear what, you know, our listeners had to say as well. And so with that said, before we get into what our favorite movies of the year so far have been, we're going to ask, we asked on Facebook, facebook.com slash podcast, what everyone else's favorites of the year so far were. And so I'm going to read those right now. Uh, Ruben has Snowpiercer and Under the Skin. Friend of the show, Mark Hoban, says what Ruben said. <laughs> Mike has Godzilla. Corey has Winter Soldier. Nuff said. I hate that saying. Nuff said. By the way, <laughs> it's like, it's like I'll, I'm, I don't need to. Sorry, Corey. I don't need to. He's a friend. I don't care. He, uh, I, I don't need to extrapolate ever because I said Nuff said. <laughs> and he didn't write enough. He just wrote Nuff. No. Nuff. Nuff. Apostrophe. Nuff. It's almost it's almost as bad as as this and then there's like a picture or something like i don't care what <laughs> like explain yourself <laughs> this colon and then picture yeah that kind of goes this <laughs> yeah yeah the one that i hated is uh is love it i'm not a big fan <laughs> yeah so like hey aaron great photo love it or actually they wouldn't write that they would just write love it it's like what does that even mean this has been out now makes fun of expressions um, okay, so marcus has friend of the show marcus robinson has nymphomaniac volume one and two and edge of tomorrow very similar movies. Uh, uh, <laughs> Philip Price, friend of the show, has Enemy. Joe Jans has Captain America 2, The Winter Soldier. Friend of the show, Maxwell Haddad has Snowpiercer and The Lego Movie and a few others I've yet to see, I'm sure. Uh, Brian White, owner of Wise to the Blue, How to Train Your Dragon 2, and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. He's seen that, obviously. Seen that already, yeah. Uh, Scott Mendelson, friend of the show, of course, has How to Train Your Dragon 2. Uh, <laughs> Philip has fun. Philip wrote, he wrote X-Men, Dop. <laughs> he actually wrote it out, which made me laugh. <laughs> oh, yeah, X-Men, Days Future Past. Bob has Edge of Tomorrow and How to Train Your Dragon 2. Ruth has The Signal with Lawrence Fishburne. Hmm. Oh. <laughs> Obviously, you're big fans of The Signal. We talked about it and we interviewed the uh, we all, writers on the show. Either, yeah, we either interviewed her husband or her brother. Yeah, because it's uh, Ruth. <laughs> Ruth Frigerio. <laughs> Yes, uh, Justin what, what, um, has Edge of Tomorrow, Captain America Winter Soldier, and How to Train Your Dragon 2. And lastly, Jason, he's divided his out. Um, he has for comedy, 22 Jump Street, for action, nonstop, for comic book, Captain America, and X-Men, for animated, the Lego movie, and for sci-fi, Edge of Tomorrow. So yeah, that's the... Uh... You wrote sci-fi, S-I-F-I, which I don't really see that often. No, not even the, you know, sci-fi. Yeah, like... <laughs> like the channel. The, t- the channel, right. Swi-fi. 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 Yeah, swi-fi. You gotta be like Professor Frank. Swi-fi. Why? Glide. 
So, with I all that... I miss that guy. I haven't seen him a lot in any episodes recently. Although I don't really we watch We don't the watch Simpsons the Simpsons anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's get to our, um, you know, our favorite uh, movies of the year so far. Let's just go one by one, Abe, from back okay. to obviously. And uh, why don't you uh, start? All right, number seven is going to be Chef. Slow down for a second. Is this boring to you? No, I like it. Yeah, well, I love it. Everything that's good that's happened to me in my life came because of that. I might not do everything great in my life. Okay, I'm not perfect. I'm not the best husband. And I'm sorry if I wasn't the best father. But I'm good at this. And I want to share this with you. I want to teach you what I learned. I get to touch people's lives with what I do. And it keeps me going and I love it. And I think if you give it a shot, you might love it too. Yes, chef. Now, should we have served that sandwich? No, chef. That's my son. Get back in there. We got some hungry people. He's ready to cook. Chef is actually a really fun movie. It was a really good break from what I was watching, like all up leading to it. It's in a weird time slide. It came out kind of during the summer, and you really didn't expect it to be. It became a hit, but then you didn't really expect it to be a hit given the time that it came out and also the 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 premise of the film which is John Favreau leaves his restaurant job and goes and opens up a food uh, a, a food truck um but it's a really nice touching story it's got great food in it um the side characters are fantastic and I think Aaron mentioned this when we were talking about it earlier too which is everybody in it is fantastic again I brought it up when I was chatting about it maybe like a, a few weeks ago uh Dustin Hoffman's old boss character was like I really loathe that guy as well Sofia Vergara is very played down and it's done well uh, big kudos to Bobby Cannavale who I think he I, I really wish that there was more of him in it and also uh, to uh, John Leguizamo but Chef is a fun movie and it's one of those films where I don't know I, I guess I just didn't expect it to be something that I would enjoy during given the time of year but I'm glad that I saw it and I'm glad that people want to go see it and it just continuously expanded as the weeks went on I don't even know if it's still playing right now but I'm sure that it's playing at like it is it is playing right now and it's considered it's playing right now, and it's still making money, and I'm very happy yeah. for that. Um, we'll hear about that. My number seven is Enemy, a film that I was very happy to finally catch up with, um, starring Jake Gyllenhaal from Dennis Villeneuve, who previously directed uh, Prisoners with Gyllenhaal, which yes. Abe and I both agree Gyllenhaal was like the best part of that movie. Enemy was actually made before Prisoners, but I can see how a you know a, hot, a all-star cast in a kidnapping drama would come out before a little independent movie that's about the weirdness that Enemy is. This is another one where I missed it while I was in theaters, but like everyone else managed to see it and was talking about how great it was. And I wouldn't say I was skeptical, but I certainly didn't want to like get my hopes too high. But I was. And I was very intrigued by what I saw of Enemy, so much so that I watched it twice in two nights, um, which wow. I rarely have the chance to do. But I was like, I want to watch this again, so I did. But yeah, it's this just this kind of haunting drama, um, almost darkly comedic, about Jake Gyllenhaal playing two different characters. One who's kind of nebbish, and he's this college professor, and he discovers that there's another person out there that looks exactly like him, and he goes to seek him out. And the story kind of carries on from there, and it's it's heavy on symbolism. It has a fantastic Jake Gyllenhaal performance. The mood of it, it's very eerie. There's even a kind of color palette that just keeps you 
in a sense of dread, and I just really enjoyed it. I thought it was just a very interesting film with the, the last, the, the final image of that movie is pretty haunting as well. Just, just everything, everything about it, I was just really, I was just really absorbed into the world of it. So I, I just, and, and also Enemy is like the hardest film for me to like, as as a film that's like one that I like completely expect to be like maybe my top 10 at the end of this year maybe we'll see there's a lot of movies this is number seven so i don't even know um but yeah. um mid-year mid-year, mid-year number seven mid-year number seven so that doesn't build well i guess if there's like great movies coming out of it. but with that said it's one of the one of my favorite movies of the year that i'll have the hardest time recommending to anybody because it is a very weird movie but it's one that i really loved so that's it a lot of people seem to love the movie so who knows i know i've been hearing a lot about it too i think i should go and try and seek it out yeah i think that there was also uh I think I may have asked you, but the double versus enemy, yeah, and you'd you'd take enemy over the double. Well, again, I I wasn't a big fan of the double. Like I thought it was fine, but I just I have no real desire to see it again. Well, the enemy is a movie I watched two nights in a row, so I mean, <laughs> take that as you will. Um, but yeah, the enemy is currently on Blu-ray and DVD now, actually as well. Very cool. Moving right to number six here, got the Raid Two. The Raid Two is the follow-up to I think 2011. Yeah. 2011's The Raid by uh, Gareth Edwards. 12, 2012. 2012. Yeah. Um, and we started, great... we started this podcast in 11, so yeah, it's 2012. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a long time ago. Wait, 2011? No, that can't be right. Yeah, Battle LA. Three, 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 seven. In 2011? Yeah. We haven't been on for six years. Wait, what am I thinking? What? What? I don't know. <laughs> what did you say? We've not been What year is it, Abe? My brain is not working right now. Hold on. I was like, Kyle wait, Reese right now? What year? 2017, right? <laughs> Six years. People are thinking that. What? Sorry. Oh, my God. All right. But it, how was Avengers 2, Abe? I don't know. <laughs> What'd you think of it? But, no, The Raid 2 is a um, follow-up to the 2012's The Raid. And I super enjoyed this. I think that there was a lot more story to it. Uh, there's still enough action, even though the, the the movie basically runs like a video game because you're kind of going through minor level bosses and then you kind of get to like um, a, a boss fight and then uh, you kind of just end the film. But I loved everything about it, which is the style of it. Um, the car chase sequence in it was much better than a movie that we talked about like two weeks prior or like a week prior to that, which was Need for Speed. And it was just overall a really, really fun movie that enough people did not go see. But kudos to the filmmakers and also to the actors and actresses. But it is visually very pleasing. And the story does kind of grip you in some ways. Yeah, The Raid the Raid 2 is not on my list, but I certainly do enjoy it quite a bit. Um, my number six is How to Train Your Dragon Part 2. Dragons. Oh, he's beautiful. Oh, I've never seen a Night Fury this close. He might very well be the last of his kind. And look, he's your age. Wow. No wonder you get along so well. (laughs) Unretractable teeth. Incredible. How did you manage? I found him in the woods. He was shot down and wounded. Mm. And what of this? Did Drago or his trappers do this too? Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, crazy thing is, I'm actually the one who shot him down. Hey, it's it's okay though. He got me back, right, bud? You couldn't save all of me, could you? You just had to make it even. So, peg leg. Oh, if that's here, 
that must mean that you have amazing things up in the top. Five. I mean, I, I have two movies left out that I consider amazing. That's how good my list is. Like, there's there's plenty wow. of movies that I really enjoy so far this year, and I, and I was like, how do I? I can't even get two of these in because that's how that's how sad I feel. <laughs> um, I really liked How to Train Your Dragon too. I say this as a person that wasn't huge in How to Train Your Dragon 1. I, I like that movie enough, but I'm not nearly as big a fan as a lot of other people are. So I was very happy to not only be surprised by liking How to Train Your Dragon 2 more than the first, but just ha- happy to love it as much as I do. I think the, the film is just a great expansion on the world set up already. It has a great voice cast. It has great dragon action in it. The visuals are splendiferous i'll use that as a word because why not Cause <laughs> great marked it's pretty much the best looking animated movie i've seen at this point given just the evolution of the technology to make animated movies and it has a lot of emotional moments that fit with the natural comedy and action that come with the film like it's just a great all-around experience in my current favorite film of the summer in terms of mainstream blockbusters very cool yeah i would i'm gonna add more to that in a, in a bit here i imagine uh, mm-hmm. yeah uh, my number five film is edge of tomorrow and Ed- Tomorrow was something that really caught me off guard. I remember I was watching a lot of the previews for it, and I was thinking, okay, well, I don't necessarily see where they can go with this story in terms of live, die, repeat. And I was thinking, what are they going to do here that's going to be so unique that's going to make me blown away? Um, It seems just like Tom Cruise is going to be an action star again, and there's going to be very little else uh, to it, and it might just be a flop. And I went to go see it, and I was completely blown away. I was Utterly, utterly, utterly blown away. I mean, that is like almost one of the most. It is a very subdued answer. I mean, I was. It was one of the best movies I've ever seen for the summer, and for the year, primarily because of what they did do with it in terms of. And we talked about this on the podcast, but just camera tricks, um, the storyline tricks, the way that it's filmed, the way that uh, the action sequences are filmed, the way that it it kind of incorporates some of the Japanese anime. Uh, in it in terms of like a giant sword and these mech warrior suits and whatever else but there's a lot of humor in it too which i didn't expect at least for the first uh first act of the film and then later on it kind of gets into some more serious undertones and it is just a really good summer movie it is just a really good movie that i've seen so far this year yeah edge of tomorrow again not on my list very close that's one of the ones that i wish i could have had in here (laughs) i'm crying right now (laughs) um but um yeah i really enjoy edge tomorrow i do think it's like I, I have this similar reaction where I, I, I was, I was expecting it to be like good, just because Tom Cruise tends to make good movies, especially when they're sci-fi. But I wasn't expecting it to be that good, and it really is. It's just a fantastic film that deserves to be far more successful than it has been. Very much agreed. Uh, my number five is The Grand Budapest Hotel. This is wow. the Wes Anderson film yeah. from this year, with starring everybody, including Abe and I. Like we're all in it. Um, but. Um, <laughs> I think uh, you played Bellhop number three, and I'm Bellhop number five, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but no, this cast is huge with Ray Fiennes leading the way and what is an amazingly hilarious performance. But yeah, it's it's West. I'm a huge Wes Anderson fan. I, I it's hard to tell actually the read on I uh, on it from other people given Wes Anderson's style and how some people might not be into it as others. But with that said, I mean a lot of people seem to love this movie regardless, and it is like his top grossing movie next to Royal Tenenbaums at this point, I believe. But um. No, I really, I really like the Grand Budapest Hotel. I think it's funny. I think it's smart and witty. I think it's a beautiful film to look at. I love the score. I think it has so many memorable parts to it. So many great actors in it. Like just everything about it's just, it's a pure Wes Anderson film, and it has a great. It's a great story about storytelling as well, which I really like, enjoyed. And certainly, 
and I'll get the two. <laughs> but the next one on my list is How to Train Your Dragon 2. And much like what Aaron said, I mean, uh, I very much thought that the animation here was fantastic. Again, I'm a huge fan of water animation, just to see how they, they do it and see how realistic it looks. So I was a big fan of just the opening sequence of How to Train Your Dragon 2. Not only that, but the storyline was fantastic. I loved the first one. I thought it was one of the best animated movies I've ever seen, primarily because of the tones that it takes and where it goes in the in the film. Um, that being said, How to Train Your Dragon 2, again, emotional beats in there. Visually, is very stunning. Uh, the storyline, you can kind of get away with some of the, the more cliche things that happen in it. But for the most part, it is a great, great children's movie. It is a great, great summer movie. It's just a good movie overall. And I would say that you should go see How to Train Your Dragon 2. Help it get some more money. That and Edge of Tomorrow. I, uh, my number four is Chef. Ah! <clears throat> a movie that I found adorable, so much so that I said that out loud to friend of the show Alan Aguilera while we were watching the movie. Um, Chef is <laughs> Chef is just delightfully to watch. It's so it's it's so fun and accessible. And if you say yeah, you didn't you know expect to see like this during the summer or whatnot, but it it feels like a perfect summer movie to me, where it's just about a father and son going on a road trip uh, making food for people. Like it's yeah, like, no, it's that like, aspect it, of it. Honestly, yes. It really, so. When you really kind of look at it, it's like, yeah, this actually feels like a good summer movie. Like, regardless of the lack of, you know, it's obviously not an action movie, but in terms of the what it's trying to get across of just, like, good times, it does that really well. And I think it, it plays the, I mean, the comedy's great because you have actors like John Favreau, who is a funny person, along with a great director, yeah. a very good director, with John Leguizamo and Bonnie Car- Bobby Carnavale and other people. And I mean, yeah, the cast is fun. The it has that kind of, that, that at that core, it, it becomes a father son story, which I really liked. Um, the, the yeah, the food shots are amazing. Like it's, it just it does a lot of things that I really enjoy about kind of smaller movies. And even with its kind of very kind of pat me on the back kind of ending, I was happy to accept that just because the movie earns it. I think like why would I want to leave the movie feeling bad when I can just feel good about the movie? I was feeling good all the way through. Like I think it's just. It's just a lot of fun, and it deserves it. What was the What was one of your favorite food items from the movie? I mean, simple as it is, that grilled cheese looked amazing. Yes, <laughs> like, yes. I was gonna say that too. Yeah, the grilled cheese was the one that he makes for his son, right? Yeah, that thing looks amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad we're on the same page here, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> the next one that I've got here is uh, Captain America 2: The Winter Soldier. That's my number three of the, the year so far. Drive is a level six homing program, so as soon as we boot up, she'll know exactly where we are. How much time will we have? Uh, about nine minutes from now. This drive is protected by some sort of AI. It keeps rewriting itself to counter my commands. Can you override it? The person who developed this is slightly smarter than me. Slightly. Try running a tracer. This is a program that she'll develop to track hostile malware. So, if we can't read the file, maybe we can find out where it came from. Can I help you guys with anything? Oh no, my fiance was just helping me with some honeymoon destinations. Right, we're getting married. Congratulations. Where are you guys thinking about going? New Jersey. Huh? I have the exact same glasses. Wow, you two are practically twins. Yeah, I wish. Specimen. Uh, if you guys need anything, I've been Aaron. Thank you. Give me a floor rundown. Negative on three. You said nine minutes, come on. Shh, relax. Got it. 
You know it? I used to. Let's go. Marvel hasn't really been making any mistakes really so far. Um, I, I wasn't a huge fan of Thor 2 The Dark World, or I don't know, Thor Cold in the Dark World. I don't know what the title is anymore. Thor Cold in the Dark World. But Captain America Thor, yeah. Uh, but Captain America 2 is a fantastic uh, follow-up, and it also is, like, how I describe, uh, I think I described it during the review, is just, it's a good standalone film, meaning that it, you don't have to watch it in sequence with the other ones to know really what's going on. There might be some side characters that you need to know, um, and how they relate to Captain America or uh, Steve Rogers. But for the most part, it's just a really terrific film. Action sequences are are shot very, very well, even though um, they're, they're tight, but you can see what's going on. Um, the storyline in itself is one that you can relate to beyond the Marvel Universe. It's just one of hey, like, like transparency and secrecy and spy thrillers and things of that nature. But for the most part, I love Steve Rogers. I love the character. I also love the way that Chris Evans is portraying him. It is certainly one of those films where I thought, this is a really good comic movie adaptation. It's also just a good film overall. And I think that people, enough people saw it, so I'm glad about that. But Captain America 2 The Winter Soldier was a solid, solid film. Yeah, it's still one of the biggest movies of the year, bigger than most of the summer movies that have come out. Um, <laughs> Cap's not doing anything wrong in terms of the bucks that he's... Uh... <laughs> making um, i yeah i really enjoyed captain america 2 winter soldier um it's not in my list but i i think it's just a very very entertaining movie and just the the kind of the right steps that marvel needs to or needs to uh, continues to take in terms of making this kind of cinematic universe that gets massive praise and love from you know people all around and yeah i do agree chris evans is quite good in there and scarlett johansson's very good in there too um just a great cast really i mean you got rob you, yeah. got, bobby, you got bobby redford just walking around doing his thing <laughs> bobby oh, redford bobby yeah, yeah you guys are like this you guys are just like yeah we, we, we interlace you can't see it but abe and i we, we were sharing the video abe and i interlace all of his fingers not just not just like not just like cross not your just fingers. Like the two, he yeah. every single one of his fingers oh. <laughs> to emphasize how good they are <laughs> so yeah that, my number three is only lovers left alive this is the jim jarmusch film starring tilda swinton and loki himself tom hiddleston um i love this movie um, I've talked about it enough on Twitter and on Facebook and what have you. I, I think this movie is just absolutely fantastic uh, in terms of being a vampire story that has very little concern of being about vampires. It's just about two people that are kind of stuck in time. And it's a fantastic love story. It's a fantastic comment on society. It has a fantastic soundtrack. The act that Tilda Swinton and, and Tom Hiddleston and John Hurt are great um, in this movie. And so is Mia Wasikowska and... Um, Anton Yelchin and some little sporting roles there too, and it's just it, it's such a unique kind of piece of filmmaking, which is what Jarmusch generally adds to the cinematic world whenever he releases a movie because he operates on levels that are just kind of different, which is why he makes indie movies and not big mainstream films. But it just worked for me so much; I was just kind of enraptured in this movie spell, and I really enjoyed being a part of that and seeing it uh, twice so far, and looking forward to repeating viewings in the future as well. So yeah, Only Lovers Left Alive is my number three. I think that hits Blu-ray in August, if I'm not mistaken. I'll be one of the first to go and see it. I missed it in the theater showings. Um, question. If Anton Yelchin was really a vampire, would you be surprised? No, no. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> he plays nicely in Vampire Worlds, apparently, between this and Fright Night. So. Fright Night, and also, you know, he's done he's done enough dark movies where I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> if he was a real vampire, I'd be like, Whatever, he's like a good a, actor. Like Odd Thomas, be... which we both yes, liked quite a bit. Yes, you should go see that. Yeah, yeah, Odd Thomas, which is streaming now. Go see that movie.
Number two, best film uh, so far is the Lego movie. Playing dumb, Master Builder. No, I Master Builder. Oh, so you've never heard of the prophecy? No. I, or I, the special? No, no, I'm a liar. Look here, Look, um, I watch a lot of cop shows on TV. Isn't there supposed to also be a? Isn't there supposed to be a good cop? Oh, yes, but we are not done yet. Hi, buddy. I'm your friendly neighborhood police officer. Would you like a glass of water? Yeah, yeah, actually. It's Too bad. This is one of the movies that is directed by Chris Miller and Phil Lord, uh, and they have directed never smash comedies so far. They're very self aware I think that this one is one of the best ones I've ever seen. I think there were so many jokes in there that I, if I wasn't sitting next to a Lego aficionado, uh, my friend Greg, I would not have gotten as many of the jokes uh, in the theater. I would have to wait and be like, okay, well, I guess these numbers are something special. Like, no, those are the Lego part numbers. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this guy's a genius. But it's a great movie. It's a great comedy. It also has a really nice story, which is you got to be unique or you just got to be yourself and don't let anyone else change you. But for the most part, I think it's done very, very well. Um, it was playing on the airplanes when I was traveling out of the country, so I watched it again twice, I think, on the way there and the way back. Um, and then I also watched it in the office. So I've seen the Lego movie like five times now. <laughs> Lego movie is also my number two, and I've also seen it five times at this point. Um, I, I adore this movie. Um, this, <laughs> the Lego movie is so much fun, such a great voice cast. So much rewatchability in it. I can't wait to continue seeing this movie down. This is the this is the one of the movies where I'm like, this is not going to leave my top ten. Like I know that right now from the bat. <laughs> Lego movie is just so enjoyable. There's so many of these movies that maybe are you know actually my list isn't really that dark even, but like in terms of like movies you tend to have on a top ten list, there'll be you know these these eventual Academy Award winning dramas or whatnot. Lego movie is just a joy, and along with being a joy, it's just very witty about what it's doing and it has things to say. And, it, and similar to Grand Budapest Hotel, it actually has a, it's a story about storytelling, which is something I really admired. And just the way it kind of, when it gets to the end, it just kind of blows the doors open on what it's really doing and how it's more right. than just a hero story. It has so much else on its mind and opens up the uh, the possibilities for an endless number of sequels based on where it can go. And <laughs> I'd be happy to see all of them because if they can be as the same quality as the Lego movie, I'm willing to give any other movie in this franchise a, a shot because it's just, just it's just joy on in my face constantly. <laughs> <laughs> and my number one movie so far of 2014 is Grand Budapest Hotel. He's a concierge. What are you doing here? I've come to pay my respects to a great woman whom I love. This man is an intruder in my home. It's not yours yet, Dimitri. Only when probate is granted and the deed of entitlement is You're given. You're not getting boy with apple, you goddamn little fruit. How's that supposed to make me feel? Call the police. We're pressing charges. This criminal has plagued my family for nearly 20 years. He's a ruthless adventurer and a con artist who preys on mentally feeble, sick old ladies. And he probably fucks them, too. I go to bed with all my friends. Grand Budapest Hotel is directed by Wes Anderson. Aaron has previously talked about it. Again, I do enjoy Wes Anderson films, uh, all of them, including the ones that people don't particularly like, which I think is kind of strange, because if you like Wes Anderson films, you should probably like things like Dr. Jilling Limited and also uh, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. What's, um, funny, what's funny about um, Life Aquatic, Life Aquatic's more that it's that like the diversive pick, where like 
people either seem to love it or hate it. They don't tell you to seem much middle ground. With Darjeeling, I feel like if you watch Darjeeling by itself, you might not enjoy it. But if you watch a bunch of Wes Anderson movies and then watch Darjeeling, you're like, yeah, that fits. I get what that, yeah, I get what I he's mean, doing. <laughs> like, it makes sense. Really good. But in terms of Grand Budapest Hotel, I remember watching it the second time, and I got very emotional at the part where F. Murray Abraham explained something to Jude Law about what happens to M. Gustave later and i guess it never really hit me the first time that i watched it because I, I wasn't i was paying attention to some of the visual aspects so i had to listen or i had a better chance of listening the second time uh, to what they were saying and um it's a very sweet story and it's shot very well and i honestly think that it is one of those movies that i'm glad that people want to go see it and i'm glad that people like packed theaters to go see it um but i i kind of wish that people would go see all of west anderson's movies too and i'm not saying that they have haven't, but it, it feels as though this one got such high praise at some of the uh, the film festivals um, that people were like, oh, okay, well, let's go see what this movie's all about. And if you really like that, you should go watch his other films. Like, what was the one that just came out like two years ago with Moonrise uh, Kingdom? Moonrise, yeah, that one was very good too. And still one of my favorite Wes Anderson films is um, The Royal Tenenbaums. So uh, I very much enjoyed Grand Budapest Hotel. It is a sweet story. It is one of the uh, endearing friendship and, and I don't know I mean Ray, Ray Fiennes is, is a very funny guy uh, I've come to realize that yeah I look forward to seeing if Ray Fiennes does more comedy between this and in Bruges he can just be hilarious <laughs> all the time uh, all, man of principle in both yeah exactly yeah. And I mean Wes Anderson he's one of the for me he's one of the rare filmmakers that just hasn't missed a beat he's eight films in and i've liked every one of them would and would give each of them at least four stars which is that's no that's no small feat to accomplish and very few directors that i you know love have managed to do that all the way so i mean it's yeah grand Budapest to tell it's just a, it's another fantastic entry into an already fantastic filmography my number one film is snowpiercer <laughs> You filthy ingrates! You people who were enough with the benevolent Wilfred would have frozen solid 18 years ago today. You people who have suckled the generous titty of Wilfred ever since for food and shelter. And now, in front of our hallowed water supply section, no less. You repay his kindness with violent hooliganism. You scum. Precisely 74% of you shall die. My friend, you suffer from the misplaced optimism of the doomed. This is the Bong Joon-ho film, which stars Chris Evans and Tilda Swinton and a bunch of people. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, Billy Elliot himself, Jamie Bell, Oct Octavia Spencer's in there, Sir Ed Harris, uh, just a lot of people. And this, a lot of, that's a lot this, of is a, this is a film about all of humanity having ended and the less the rest of the human population being located entirely on a train that circles the earth in order to keep itself powered it just goes non-stop and it's divided into class sections where the front end is the high class people and the back end is the poor class 
and the back end is not very happy with being the back end, and so they stage a revolution to make it up to the top of the train. And it's this just wonderful action movie mixed with big sci-fi ideas and a bunch of style and some amazing action, some terrific performances. Chris Evans might be giving a career best performance in this movie. He's just that good, and Tilda Swinton is amazing. She, she is, and she, she's in four of my... <laughs> she, she's in this, she's in Only Lovers, she's in Grand Budapest. <laughs> She, she, if, she, if she's yeah, in the Lego movie, I can then say she's in all my favorite movies of the year. <laughs> like, let's just let's just pretend that. Um, she probably was. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's I, I I really love Snowpiercer, and I I feel like we're gonna talk about it more in future episodes. I don't want to say too. I don't want to expand too much more, even though it is my number one movie of the year so far. But uh, otherwise, I'd ask you a ton of yeah. questions right now if we weren't gonna but talk it about is, uh, it. It again. is quite the. Uh, quite the sci-fi experience that I was very happy to enjoy. I will say that I am leaving one movie off that I have seen of this list just because it technically comes out in the second half of the year as opposed to the first. So, um, But with that said, yeah. Snowpiercer is currently my favorite movie of the year, and um, it's just, go see it, because it's expanding slowly, but it's in, the, it's in a lot more theaters than it was the week before, and it will only get into some more weeks from now, and I hope that everyone else goes out and sees it and embraces what it is. Yeah, it's reached a number of theaters that I didn't think it was going to reach at its opening, which is, uh, you know, places like, again, you mentioned friend of the show, Brandon Peters has, has seen it, and he lives out in yep. Indiana. Um, and I think that friend of the show, Philip Price, has also seen it, and he's out in Arkansas. So um, I'm glad Jim that it's... Uh, and he loved it. Like, there's, yeah, it's Mark Ho it's Mark Oban's favorite movie of the year, too. Like, well, both of us actually have it. As you well as Max guys. Sure as well. Um, so, yeah, there's a... A lot of praise out there for Snowpiercer, and as there should be, because it's just a fantastic, unique sci-fi experience. Oh yeah, I think a friend of the show, Jose Cordova, also yep, so that get he, to go he enjoyed see it. it very, very much. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, those are our top movies of the year so far. Yeah, and, so far. Um, let's see. Before we get into some of the movies that we weren't as big of a fan of, as well as what other people weren't as big a fan of, let's do our, our sponsor for the week. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. This is, of course, the audiobook download site where you can find uh, plenty of books to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or any kind of MP3 player. AudibleTrial.com slash podcast. That's where you can go to download a free audiobook and to get a free 30-day trial to go with it. And I have a book to recommend. All right. It is called Life Itself by Roger Ebert, um, who's best the best-known film critic of our time. He has been reviewing films for the Chicago Times since 1967 and was the first film critic ever to win the Pulitzer Prize. He has appeared on television for over four decades, including 23 years as the co-host of Siskel and Ebert at the movies. In 2006, compilation, com, compilations, complications from thyroid cancer resulted in the loss of his ability to eat, drink, or speak. But with the loss of his voice, Ebert has only become more of a prolific and influential writer. Unfortunately, he did pass away last year, but his legacy lives on, currently in documentary form or in this memoir by himself, Life Itself, which is available on audible.com. You can find that book there. You can download it for free or any other book you want. You can check out the service. If you don't like the service, you can get rid of it, but you get to keep the book that you downloaded for free for free. So be a winner. Read or listen. Yay. AudibleTrial.com. So shout out podcast. Right. So we move into uh, some of the lesser favorable films of 2014 so far. Uh, let's go ahead and read some of the listener responses here. Uh, we asked, what's everyone's least favorite film of the year? Joseph writes, The Legend of Hercules. And that one I don't remember. I, <laughs> I think, Aaron, you saw that one. Nope, did not. Did, did, not, <laughs> did not make my way to seeing um, uh, Kellen Lutz's 
uh, lead performance in Legend of Hercules, but I'm, I'm interpretation of Hercules. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm sure I'll uh, not see it anytime soon either. So or ever, yeah. From the show, Marcus uh, Robinson writes the other woman. Ooh. <laughs> Uh, Oria Patricia Acosta Olea writes Frozen. I was forked to see it five times. So she wrote F O R X E D. But I, I'm sure that's forced. Yes, and I should mention that Aria is she is from Colombia. She's one of our Colombian listeners. Next, we have Bob who wrote Devil's Do. Oh, Matt Saracen. Yeah, with Matt Saracen, Seven himself from Friday Night Lights. Yeah, that movie's not good. Uh, that's not a good movie. <laughs> and lastly, Jason has The Lone Ranger. Oh, wait, I mean A Million Ways to Die in the West. Ha! Huh? Jason, you guy, you. It's funny how neither of us mentioned X-Men Days of Future Past, by the way, in our top ten list. Yes, well, I think that you and I are probably the only two people in the country that were like, you know, it was okay. It was okay. Well, I think Scott's the only person that was, like, mixed and negative on it, actually. Oh, he was mixed negative on it. (laughs) Yeah, because, I mean, again, it was was okay. It's fine. It's fine. I like Godzilla more. Um, Moving on. Um, (laughs) I don't know about that, but okay. I do. Um yeah, that was uh, those are the everyone else's least favorites of the year so far. I should mention yeah. Joseph uh, Joseph Braverman. He writes for AwardCircuit.com with uh, along with Mark Johnson and other other people over there, over that site. And I should say I keep trying to get him on the show, and eventually I will get him here. Joseph, <laughs> the words out, the words Take out. Some time, buddy. Put it out. So uh, let's go over um, our thoughts on the, the worst films of the year so far. We're just going to do a top three here, and if you're playing at home, that means that we have seven bests and three worsts, which makes it have a top ten of some kind. A very weird one, that's for sure. But that's fun with addition. Um, moving on, Abe, what is your number three worst film of the year? Number three worst film of the year is Need for Speed. And I had largely no high hopes for this movie anyway. But I went in to go see it, and it is probably one of the worst films, primarily because of the way that it's been made up and the way that it's been written. And that's a group of guys who are friends, and they are all gearheads, but they have all this money to go play PlayStation at their warehouse. One of the guys is like the uh, the cheeky young uh, upstart guy who looks like James Dean. He dresses in denim uh, denim uh, coats and he's got super blonde hair and he's always upbeat. He's he's the insightful one. He's the clairvoyant one and obviously he's the one that dies and causes this this chain effect of of uh, Jesse Pinkman's downfall uh, in terms of the racing circuit. Aaron Paul. Aaron Paul, right? Super cliche movies. Uh, terrible lines. Terrible script. The racing scenes are actually okay, um, but everything else is just a big waste of time. Even uh, What's-His-Face, who's the main villain? Oh, Dominic Cooper. Dominic Cooper. He's a great actor. Dominic Cooper is a fantastic actor. I don't know what he's doing in this movie because he has nothing to do. Everything about this movie, never never see this movie. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be surprised if Michael Keaton remembered he was in this movie years from now. I totally forgot that he was in there. As like, I'd be surprised if guy. he was like, oh, huh. Yeah, I, I guess there was a day where I just filmed myself in an, a room separate from everybody, just saying things. That's... He probably has fonder memories of making RoboCop. Oh yeah, he's in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, my number three, RoboCop. Um, wow. I really did not like RoboCop at all, uh, bordering on hate, and I don't really have time to hate things in my life. But no, I um, no, everything about RoboCop looked bad to begin with. Um, I would say sure, it's of no surprise that I did not end up liking the movie, but it's not as if I didn't give it a try. I did go to see it after all. Um, and I was completely open to the idea of maybe it'll be at least average, and it wasn't even that. It's just terrible. It's just poorly designed, poorly developed. Everything that makes the original work is just kind of non-absent. It's non-absent. It's kind of absent here. Joel Kinnaman is just a very bland lead as RoboCop. Gary Oldman tries. Um, Michael Keaton tries. Jay Baruchel's around. 
for some reason. Um, but out of marketing. But the the action is just really bland. It's it's great that yeah we have like a budget now so we can make it look shiny and new, but it also looks plastic and fake. And so I just didn't care um, about anything about this movie. I like Sam Jackson, I guess he was having like some fun. But yeah, the um, movie has just nothing to say, and the way it kind of reverses what makes RoboCop the original work uh, could have been an interesting idea, but the movie doesn't really explore that. And as such, it just falls flat in its face, which is what robots would probably do if they were left up to their own devices. So there you go, moving on. <laughs> I agree with you that it has really nothing to say, and it, it kind of tried at some point, but it failed. Um, next one I have is Labor Day. Oh, I forgot about Labor a late, Day. <laughs> yeah, this is like a late January release. And um, oh, that, Labor Day. I almost want to revise my list because I forgot about Labor Day. <laughs> <laughs> one of the one of the things about Labor Day is that it it kind of has an interesting premise, right? You know, like a, a convict has escaped and he's on the run, and he meets up with this uh, single woman who has been left by her husband because she she cannot have children or or more than one child, and he he stays with them through the Labor Day weekend in order to escape. Uh, along the way, you know, feelings change and whatever else. But this movie is one of those movies where I kept on thinking to myself, how is this happening? Like, how 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 is this movie happening in the course of three days? Because they do a lot of things that don't really make any sense. Like, you know, cleaning the gutters, washing the lawn. And uh, they also have this intense peach sequence, which is almost gross when you think about it, deeper than surface level. The acting in it is... I guess Kate Winslet is okay. Jay or uh, what's his Josh face? Brolin. Josh Brolin. He's okay too, but well, they yeah, have they're, this. They're good actors. Like it's yeah, like they're not bad. And it's just the movie. They're not bad. bad. Uh, the movie around. But the movie itself is just so weird because it is. It's contained within the small town, but, but it's impossible for it to be contained within the small town. And there's all these plot twists that happen that are explained to you that are actually never one on one explained in real time in the in the present day in the present day I'm using air quotes because they're in like nineteen seventy eight or whatever. And we know what happened to Josh Brolin's character, but Kate Winslet never knows what happens to Josh Brolin's character and vice versa. We don't really know until like a while in, like what's going on. Like what, what? Yeah, it's a ridiculous film. It feels like one of those kind of like pulpy romance books that you'd buy that's been turned into a movie, but instead it's but it's not quite that, even though it is a book, but I imagine it takes itself yeah. way more seriously than it should. And yeah, it's strange that this is a Jason Reitman movie, a director I otherwise really like. Um, yeah, I know. He did Up in the Air. Yeah. And Juno, and Thank You for Smoking, and Young Adult. I like all of those movies. Well, I like all of those movies. Speaking of good actors and bad movies, this is a movie that no one's even going to know because it was so low-key, but I'm going to rub it in anyway. It's called The Face of Love. This movie had Annette Benning and Ed Harris. It came out early this year. And it's terrible. It's a terrible oh, movie. It's terrible enough where I'm like, I need to put this on a list because I don't. I mean, like Annette Benning and Ed Harris makes it sound and Robin pretty okay. And Robin Williams is in there too. He plays the next door neighbor. And like, ah, huh, that's a good cast, but this movie's awful. This movie's terrible. <laughs> it's a, it's like about Annette. And I talked about this before on the podcast, but I'll recap. Um, Annette Benning uh, plays a, a widow. Uh, she had a husband played by Ed Harris, who unfortunately passed away. And a, like a year later or so, she comes across a man who looks exactly like Ed Harris because he's played by Ed Harris and she seeks <laughs> she and she seeks she seeks out this doppelganger and pursues a relationship with him because of obviously the reminding of her own of her own former husband 
And yeah, that's a wacky idea. And I've already put up a movie in my top ten that had a similar wacky idea called Enemy with Jake Gyllenhaal about you know doppelgangers. But this movie is just horrible. This movie, it's very, it's similar to Labor Day in terms of like how could this be happening within the realms of a love story. It's it's over dramatic to the nth degree. It has a preposterous third act, which was what really pushed me over the edge. Before I was just like, yeah, it's fine. But then it was just like, no, this is this is terrible. And it just makes me feel bad for people like Ed Harris, who I'm convinced has never given a bad performance in his life and still hasn't. Just the fact that he's in this movie just makes me feel bad for him. Yeah. And Annette Benning, who I generally like also. And and Robin Williams is just like a he's like a cuckold. He just kind of shows up and it's like, Yeah, <laughs> I guess there's no time for me. And it's just it's just a sad, depressing, bad movie. Poorly poorly acted or just the movie's bad? The movie's bad. No, it's, not, it's just a bad okay. movie. It's bad it's badly made, badly written. And too long. <laughs> and, and a, You're just slumping in your chair. And a, wa- like and a waste of good talent. That's the face of love. Certainly sounds like it. I mean, Ed Harris, I love that guy. Yeah. That guy's tense. Again, like, never given a bad performance in his yeah. life. <laughs> if you've ever seen, like, the, uh, I think there's, like, a um, a reel of him in The Rock where it's kind of just, like, a, some mess-up reel. And it's not a gag reel. Nobody's laughing in it. But Ed Harris is super intense. He's, like, he's such a serious actor. Yeah. He's, like, he really wants to get everything down. Um, and he's just cursing at himself. He's like, F, F, like, I gotta get this right. He's Come that, on, Ed. He's that way in the commentary, too. Oh, really? Something about The Rock, a movie I love anyway, that's still Michael Bay's best movie, easily. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, the, Rock, the Rock is so good that it makes Ed Harris, like, they, they have to give him a redemption arc because he's just too good in the movie to have him killed off as an insane <laughs> villain. Like, it's like, we need to make him good at the end because Ed Harris is too awesome. Like, that's how good the, that's how good Ed Harris is in The Rock. He is really good at it. My number one terrible film of the year so far is Transcendence. Ooh. And this is a, this is a movie that looked okay, actually. The more that I was watching the trailer, I was like, okay, you know, you know I kind of like where this is going. I, I'm not really sure of the, uh, the whatchamacallit, the, the take that it's going to go with regard to the moral of the story. Is Johnny Depp evil? Is he pure evil? Is he corrupt? Because he really needs to access the internet for some reason. And then you sit down and you watch it, and there's just absolutely nothing that hits you beyond, like, two millimeters thick. Because you have, again, like, a rebel group that you have nothing, you largely know nothing about beyond the fact that they are a rebel group that doesn't like the works of uh, Johnny Depp's character. And then they kill innocent people for, for no reason other than to say, this is artificial intelligence gone too far, so we need to kill all these graduate students and we also need to kill off this professor that is just running the lab. Uh, surprisingly, he doesn't eat the cake. And a lame school, Morgan no Freeman. too. That's the worst part. At where? At a lame school, too. <laughs> I know. I can't believe those guys are at Stanford. are such dicks. No, it, was, it was Berkeley, Abe. So <laughs> and then Johnny Depp becomes this machine. And he is uh, his wife is uh, the woman from... Rebecca Hall. Rebecca Hall, yeah. I was uh, the lady. We don't need to go over this plot. It's terrible. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know... He does these things for her, and she does these things for him, and later, three years later, like, it just gets really crazy, and I just didn't like it at all. It was just a mix of ideas that didn't play out well, and it was a poor script. It was just poor planning as well, in terms of Rebecca Hall's character and the the, the course that she has to run through in this film. It, it kind of just makes it sort of like a redemption thing, but it didn't work out at all, and for the most part, Wally Fister, good on you for being like director of photography for some of the Christopher Nolan films. And I think that you, you, you know, I'm glad that you took a step out and tried to make your own film. But maybe if something came along that was, you know, a, a smaller film, maybe like a tighter film or something that you wrote yourself, 
that'd be better because some of the visuals do look okay, but the movie itself is just a mess. I mean, that just didn't help me right there. The fact that for being a man acclaimed for his cinematography abilities, he made such a bland looking movie. Like there's, there's some nifty effect yeah. sequences because that's what you get when you spend a hundred million dollars on something. But beyond that, that was a lot of money. Yeah, no, it's probably the most expensive, boring movie of the year. Yeah. Transcendence was not good at all. It's like, <laughs> which says a lot for the fact that I still have six movies I put ahead of Transcendence. <laughs> 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 But yeah, that was that was not a, a fun experience watching Transcendence uh, for two hours and change probably. I don't remember how long. It, it was, was. I think it two hours and change. It was two hours. Felt like five. So if that said, get to my number one. Before I get to that, I, I do have three others. I'll just mention because why not? Um, <laughs> Vampire Academy. That's god awful. Uh, the Other Woman. I agree with Marcus Robinson. It's also pretty god awful. Um, and Winter's Tale, which is almost so terrible that it's funny, which is why I didn't want to put it in the top three, because it was like, well, <laughs> I didn't really hate the movie, because it was hilarious. It's yeah, just... you mentioned that Will Smith is in it, and I was like, I just want to see the Will Smith part. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be on YouTube soon enough, because it's on Blu-ray now, but yeah, Will Smith as the devil, um, that's that's a thing that I just said, because it's true. Will Smith plays the devil, that's <laughs> that's a thing. Um, but yeah, that movie's awful, but hilarious. It's almost like It's almost like commentary hilarious, like that's how good Winter's Tale might be at that's... some point. <laughs> Anyway, my number one least favorite movie of the year. I don't know if Abe's been able to piece it together. Do you have any idea what my number one worst is going to be? Uh, no, I, I don't. Okay, it's Sabotage. Oh, I, have, I didn't see that. Yeah. But I've, I've, but... T- I've talked plenty about how much I hated Sabotage. And um, <laughs> boy, I did not like this movie. This is the David Ayer film uh, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and lots of muscly people, as well as Morales news from The Killing. The movie, what makes this movie so terrible to me is that it's just like, I hate every single cast member. (laughs) Really? Not not as the actor, but in terms of the characters they play. Like, like, none of them are like, none of them are are good people. The exception comes from the kind of two outside agents played by, um, yeah, you got these two outside agents played by Olivia Williams and Harold Perrineau. And they're like, they're the one kind of redemption we get. But even then, the movie's just, there's not, like, the... The action's like just broad and bland, and Schwarzenegger's like it has this whole crew of people that are all like improvising scenes and they're like saying lines. And are they really? You can tell that that's like kind of the rapport they're going for, where they're trying to like just trade line one liners back and forth. And then Schwarzenegger walks in, and he's not that guy. So like him like trying to do freestyle <laughs> improv is just terrible. It doesn't sound natural for being the guy that's supposed to be the leader of their team. Him trying to like say lines that are like, look how funny I can be. Also, like it's just he yeah. needs them thrown at him. He needs to be like Jackie Chan. He needs to have those lines written out ahead of time because he cannot it's like, just it's improv. Like, uh, when, uh, it's like when Rainier Wolfcastle makes like a, a funny, ridiculous line. It's right? just it's like, like that. It is exactly like that. This is almost like <laughs> this is almost as good as a McBain movie. And what's what the terrible thing about it is that the last like five minutes of the movie are are great. They're like fantastic, and it's like why that is upsetting. It's like why was this not the rest of the movie? Because th- that that's like that's the movie I would have liked to see. But instead, yeah. they have this weird slasher film mixed with the DEA. That's terrible. film. I, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a slasher film who done it within the realms of a kind of procedural thriller, and it's terrible. And it makes me feel just bad for everyone. Like, when you have Sam Worthington as the actor that's trying to give the emotional performance the most, that's you're in a bad spot, because that's not, that's not what I need. Why Sam Worthington? Sam Worthington fitted with all kinds of... Everyone has crazy facial hair. He's got, like, he's got, like, he's got uh, braided, he's braided, got braided goatee. goatee, and, like, yeah. Joe Manginello has, like, cornrows, and Terrence Howard, he has, like, a do-rag, and is like, when am I getting paid for this, man? And it's just sad. <laughs> it's just... A, I just remember the line from the trailer, it's like, 
why is a cartel trying to kill your guy? And I'm like, oh, well, I don't even want to no, watch it. It's just, it's just, it's just a really, really bad movie. I'm glad that nobody went to go see it then. So it was like a January release, right? No, no, it came out in April. What? Oh my gosh, I'm I'm tripping today. I thought it was 2017, and now I think that sabotage. Yeah, like, I don't know what's oh. going on. <laughs> I don't know. I just I woke up in a weird state. I woke up at like 5 a.m. to go take a shower for no real reason. That's, that is weird. Yeah, weird man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sabotage this is why you and i we were like you know david Ayer can be hot and cold and i hope it's not i hope fury yeah, is not the, the movie before like, sabotage yeah i hope fury is a lot better and it frankly it looks better to me but i mean before sabotage he had end of watch which is great which is very good yeah <laughs> anyway um that was our top three worst of the 2014 so far yeah so now we've got a question here that we uh aaron we can uh, answer this one ourselves as well uh biggest disappointments and surprises uh, April writes, the biggest surprise for me was how much I enjoyed Edge of Tomorrow, and we're glad to hear that. Yeah, for sure. Eric has, I had high hopes for Transformers, but they let me down. Um, I'm glad to hear that, too. Bob has, disappointed in Joe, even though I still liked it, surprised by Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, Joe. Joe. Yeah, Joe's, uh, that was with Nicolas Cage um, from uh, David Oh, Green, yes. And, uh, yeah, I like that movie. I don't love it, but I, I think it's a... I think Nick Cage is very good in it. It's it's it reminded me of a lot of Mud uh, for uh, some obvious reasons. One because it shares the same chi- um, kid actor, uh, Ty, oh, really? Ty Sheridan, but they both yeah. kind of falter at the end a bit. But I think everything leading up to it is quite good. Yeah, that's uh, Nicholas Cage with the beard. Yeah. Uh. What? Yeah. Yeah. yeah yes. Yeah. Justin has. I haven't seen any movies where I was disappointed because I pick and choose. I'm mostly disappointed when the DVD comes and I rent or buy it. That's normally when I see the movies I didn't really like to see in the theater anyway. So that's a pretty that's a good way to save your money actually. Uh, go to Redbox, rent it for a dollar, and then be disappointed that you just wasted a dollar. And lastly, Philip has biggest surprise is that I like Days of Future Past more than The Winter Soldier, which I also loved. Yeah, that is you know comic book movies. And again, I think that Winter Soldier in my book is is better. Um, Days of Future Past is just. I'd agree too. I mean, but again, we're you know in that weird minority of people that didn't love Days of Future Past. <laughs> so. Yeah, and, yeah. Disappointments from you, Aaron, or surprises? Uh, disappointments. So um, I would say A Million Ways to Die in the West was disappointing because I thought that'd be better. I'm disappointed in the performance of How to Train Your Dragon too, because uh, I thought that would you know be a lot huge. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like he, I hope he conjugates that. <laughs> I, I nailed it. Um, <laughs> biggest disappointment for me is Godzilla. Uh, I think that the trailers made it look really cool, and I was thinking that it wasn't, when I watched it, it just really didn't hit as, as much as I thought, and the characters are very paper thin. Brian Cranston needs to be in that movie more. Yeah, I agree with the um, the characters being thin. I did see a cool trailer and got a cool movie, so I'm fine with Godzilla. I got what I expected based on the trailer. Um, disappointments, uh, or surprises, let's see. Surprises. I mean, the surprise that had is uh, Edge of Tomorrow. I'd say Edge of Tomorrow is better, like better than I thought it would be, I guess, because I did like expect to like it, but it was certainly yeah. better uh, than I expected it to be. I should say, by the way, Edge of Tomorrow wasn't a one that was like right off my list. The other is Lock, uh, Lock with Tom, oh, with, with Tom with Hardy. Tom. Yeah, that's a very good movie. That I mean, it's it's hard to find at this point, but um, it will be out on Blu-ray soon enough, I'm sure. Yeah. And um, let's see other surprises. I mean, like I. I don't know if it's a really surprise, but I mean, I was trying to figure out where to put the signal because I liked the signal. I think there were some things that are uh, that could be possibly be done better. But 
I liked it enough for people to go see it, so I guess that could be a surprise. I mean, yeah, Signal, it, it fits more like the, I don't know, most underrated or needs-to-be-seen movie of the year or something like that. But yeah, it's certainly a movie that we both enjoy quite a bit and especially praise for it being just a unique movie out there amongst, you know, yeah. many things that you've seen before. Um, you know what? About Last Night. That's a surprise for me. Um, with Kevin Hart and uh, Michael Ealy and Regina Hall. Like, that was just a really solid romantic comedy that I wasn't expecting to enjoy as much as I did, but I really liked it. Yeah, about last night. That's uh, the one you were like, hey, if you see anything this weekend, you should go watch about last night, and I didn't. Yeah, seems a, con- a I... constant theme of missing things that I'd recommend that you'd probably like. <laughs> Such as my number <laughs> one movie of the on year. The flip, <laughs> yeah, on the flip side... I do watch, or I don't watch things that you don't recommend. So I'm like, oh, I'm glad Aaron saved me some money there. There you go. That, that kind of helps, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, about last night. The best Kevin Hart movie this year of the three so far. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> he has had a lot of films released this year. I can't say I was disappointed in Jersey Boys. I didn't really look forward. I wouldn't say I was anticipating Jersey Boys very much. Yeah, neither, neither was I. Yeah. And I guess that's the best way to, to describe it. Yeah. Maleficent was kind of a disappointment because I thought it would be better. I still, I didn't. I liked it. I, yeah, I know yeah. you guys liked it more than I did, and I didn't hate Maleficent. I certainly think Angelina Jolie is great in it, but yeah, it just wasn't a movie I, you know, enjoyed overall. Yeah. So yeah, that's that. Let's uh, let's move on now. Let's get to the questions that uh, right. Because we got a number of them here, and uh, here I'll start this one. Uh, James asks, "Do you think staggered worldwide releases have a significant effect on later reviews slash public opinion, or do you find deserving films still perform well with bad early looks?" I think that staggered review or staggered worldwide releases. I, I think that's totally fine. I, I don't really think that it has a huge negative impact. I mean, people have different tastes <laughs> all throughout the world. So I mean, if it's released early in Australia because the actors are Australian, um, and then they'll release it like two weeks later in the U.S. Uh, or if they're like just the big Marvel movies or the big blockbusters that get released in Europe or in, in the rest of the world before America. Yeah. I mean, like, it wasn't like Winter Soldier released in China like two weeks before it was in the U.S. or something, and it's like it's still got good reviews. Well, all the still got, yeah, all the Marvel studi- all the Marvel Studios films come out a week earlier than than America at this point. Yeah, but I, I largely don't think that it has um, any real opinion on uh, in the U.S. market, primarily because I don't think that many people here in the U.S. are reading external reviews. You know what I'm saying? Like they're not saying, "Oh, well, what's the Telegraph UK saying?" or "What's you know the Sydney Herald saying?" or "You know what is the newspaper in Japan saying about this?" Like I don't think that they really care. I think they're kind of just they want to go see it anyway. So I don't really think that it's it's hurting any of the the opinion. And it, it just makes it all the better for revenue for the movie. I think that's certainly part of it. And just in general, reviews don't quite tend to affect the movie. Um, it could for smaller movies that get like huge word of mouth or whatnot, but like professional reviews, I mean, you don't get four Transformers movies that each debuted to over a hundred million dollars because the reviews were bad. Like that's that's just not how it works, and um, people aren't not seeing movies be- elsewhere because people in America didn't like them. They there's yeah, it's uh, at the end of the day, a movie is a movie, and it comes down to you know how it appeals to people and you know obvious marketing ties in and whatnot. Um, as opposed to public opinion. That certainly, it sours the movie. Bad word of mouth um, on certain movies certainly brings down the scores, but, you know, big movies that are kind of basically critic-proof, again, like Transformers or like a Marvel movie, they're going to, you know, they're they're mostly going to perform well regardless of what is being said about them. Yeah, but, I mean, I still don't think that an 
an international review that is negative is going to hurt audiences here in the U.S. That too, yes. I, I, I agree that I don't think external reviews from outside, you know, outside our nation is uh, affecting yeah. how people in America, people here, are, you know, viewing what the film's going to be and saying, I don't want to see that because of this, um, that kind of. Yeah, and, and again, it's not just, it's not. Just be nationalistic at all it's not say like oh american reviews are the best reviews it's just again nobody reads external reviews because certainly not in droves that influence the box office performance of films right yeah i mean like yeah do i think that everyone in la is reading whatever else uh what international people will say about edge of tomorrow i highly doubt that that's the case okay next question is from george uh do you have an alternate title for batman v superman colon dawn of justice thank you i like batman superman colon dawn of a romance so um let's uh, see any, uh, any titles abe i i don't have one off the top of my head i i would just put superman in front because it's a superman movie isn't it well we don't know Abe. we haven't seen it oh i'd, I'd call it a I, I don't know i can't think of anything clever no yeah no. batman versus superman versus wonder woman versus the adventure squad versus the Thun super twins <laughs> versus the aquaman versus, versus... Um, but there's there's Batman v Superman s Wonder Woman colon we got all these people. What else is there? There's Batman v Superman the cooking experience of a lifetime. I think that's that would a be a fantastic. Um, they just they just turned in professional chefs. Alfred is their teacher. There's Batman v Superman v Superman v Batman. That's a that's a palindrome. Um, <laughs> there's um. Batman v Superman, the rebuild, the rebuild, the, the, re- the rebuilding. Who is that guy? The rebuilding. There's that sounds like a horror movie. There's the amazing or Batman it's, it's v the, Superman. It's the charity work that they do to re- go rebuild the to go and rebuild Metropolis. There's the Dark Knight Man of Steel. Um, one, that one actually sounds okay. Nightman is one word. Um, mm. Let's see. There's the fault in our Superman. Oh, uh, they both have cancer in that one. Ex- yeah, exactly. Kryptonite cancer. Yeah. Kryptonite cancer. No, they've got they've got the uh, they've got a disease that only Doctor Freeze can. can oh yeah, yeah. Batman's got stage two McGregor syndrome, and <laughs> and Superman has kryptonite poisoning. Um, they have to help each other. Take two and call me in the morning. All right, so that's that's that. That's that question. Here's here's one from Izzy. Uh, you have a chance to let Rob Zombie create another sequel to non-horror movie and a non-horror movie and turn it into a horror movie. Which do you choose? Mm. Let's see. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Rob Zombie reunites with Jack Nicholson and brings him back from the dead and turns it into a zombie chase caper. Caper. I turn it, or I turn it. Uh, I turn the Goonies into a horror movie, where like instead of um, like the, the the family being crazy and nice at the end. Uh, the guy's just like a, a sadistic ogre killer. What what guy? I forget what his name is. What family are you referring to? The evil family in the Goonies. But they weren't nice in the end. They're just always evil. <laughs> <laughs> What's the guy's name? Sloth. His name. Sloth. Yeah, Sloth is just like this sadistic killer. He kills. Oh, so, so, so Chunk. he's evil. Okay. Yeah, like he kills Chunk, and like you know they're in this cave and they have to, they're, they're all being killed one by one. Rob Zombie's just like killing them off, killing these fools off. April asks us. Has Gary Oldman ever been truly bad in a movie? That's a fun question. I had to look it up just because I wasn't sure if he's been truly bad in a movie. He's certainly been in bad movies because yeah, he's been, he's in, been in a lot movies, of movies, but... like RoboCop, for instance. Uh, but he's <laughs> he's good in that. Like he's in Red Riding Hood, and I can't say he's good in that movie. Watch um, it. Uh, there's a movie called Tiptoes, which is ridiculous. 
um, that he's definitely not good in. <laughs> um, Hannibal. I can't say he's great in Hannibal. Mm. Um, the movie, of course, not the wonderful TV series that has one of the best second season finales of all time. Um, Lost in Space. Mr. Burns. Lost in Space is not a good movie, but he's not terrible in that movie, I guess. Then there's like the Scarlet Letter, which is just everyone's bad in that movie. So, so yeah, I mean, he's he's had his share. Of, <laughs> I guess the answer is yes. He's had his yes, share of clunkers. Some. But I mean, he, I think he's got more performances that are good that outweigh the. the oh, clunkers. that's yeah, that's for sure. He definitely has I mean, more performances that outweigh. It feels like it's like a it's like a ninety ten thing, but I or like an eighty twenty. Maybe eighty twenty, but I can't necessarily say he's always been good in things as opposed to certain actors that I think are always good regardless of the movie that they're in, like Ed Harris, for example. Ed Harris is good in a lot of things. Or even Eric Bana, actually getting back to that. I haven't seen uh, I haven't seen the one the I haven't seen Troy. Is he is he pretty decent? He's the in best Troy? thing in Troy. Oh my god. Okay, I'm glad. Troy, yeah, he he's a good Hector in Troy, and like that, he brings a lot of uh, he, he, because you know, especially if you know the story of the Iliad, like you know where his character's going, and I think he brings a lot of weight to what that role requires. And that fight scene between him and Achilles, played by Brad Pitt, like that's a that's a really good fight scene. Uh, all right, so uh, Crenshaw asks, that's a fun name to say, Crenshaw asks, what are some of your favorite opening scenes that you think set the tone of a movie perfectly? For him, the beginning of Silverado, the gunfight inside a small cabin ending with the shoot, shot out of the door into a vast western landscape is a favorite of mine. Um, way to have a very specific example. I like that one. Um, I uh, I wrote down a number because I did look up this question too, just to have something to say. But Abe, yeah. any offhand that you can think of? Yeah, one of the first ones I think of is uh, Lord of the Rings. I think that that opening fight sequence in the Fellowship of the Ring was just I was really awestruck with it. Very much set the tone in terms of oh wow, they're like this huge battle here, and this is exactly what's going on. And uh, the voiceover by Gwen or by Gwyneth Paltrow, the voiceover by Kate. Blanchett is very well done as well. So I that's one of the first ones that I thought of uh, off the top of my head. I had a few that I... And I did actually think of a few of these off the top of my head, but some of them I was like, hmm, let me think about this for a bit. Um, but um, yeah. I have 2001 Space Odyssey. Uh, Scream, I think, does a really good job of doing exactly what it needs to do. Uh, yes. Reservoir Dogs basically sets the path for Tarantino's career. Um, the Social Network has a wonderful opening scene. Children of Men sets the tone for that movie very well. Train Spotting does so as well goldfinger and uh jaws they uh they just those are all terrific films i know they yeah well they obviously the terrific <laughs> movies but i think they yeah. i i mean it's not like it's not like the fellowship isn't underpraised i mean that's no, 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 yeah, yeah but i'm saying like i mean like all those movies are like solid movies they're great like, yeah they're great movies obviously but i mean yeah i think they do all have opening scenes that really just nail the tone of the movie that they're going for even like the matrix i think has a great kind of Opening scene that establishes what kind of movie we're in. Is that the uh, the chase sequence between With Trinity and, like, and but cops. even yeah, but even her just like in the room waiting for cops to come in and she does some fight stuff like it's yeah. in the you know the atmosphere that's set with the kind of the noir aesthetic like it just works. And there's yeah. plenty of I mean obviously there's plenty of movies that establish their tone really well. I'm just thinking of some you know very much agree. Yeah, I'd have to like research some more. Like, that's a great question though. That goes well with our um, favorite trailers yeah. question of movies. Yeah, I, was just, that, I was just thinking that. Questions that I was like just, this could be like one of those recurring questions that we ask like from time to time. We really should make that list. <laughs> we just bring it up every time. <laughs> the trailers one like I always, Aaron and I love watching trailers, so it's you know whenever anyone has like a good trailer that they've seen past or present or, or future I suppose. Um, yeah, just let us know, and I'd love to check it out. I love the way that some of the trailers are cut. And um, with that, 
you know, that brings us to the end of the feedback stuff. Now, a lot of good questions there, a lot of good responses as well from our listeners, so thank you very much for that. That's Out Now Podcast at uh, Facebook.com slash Out Now Podcast, where you can you know, find all the questions we asked during the week. And um, let's do a little Out Now Presents What's Out Now. All right. This is uh, where we talk about some new movies that are coming out on Blu-ray and DVD this week. It's while streaming, and we got a few here. Uh, first up is The Raid 2, Barandal. Go check it out, yay. Yeah, that's hitting shelves this week, as well as the movie I mentioned, Jodorowsky's Dune which is the documentary I was talking about earlier in the show. And along with that film, we have a couple films from that director, uh, Alessandro Jodorowsky, called El Topo and the Holy Mountain. These are kind of cult films from the 70s that he's responsible for making. And they certainly have... I've seen I've seen El Topo, and they, he... The thing about the Dune, about his version of Dune that could have existed, the idea is that it probably could have been one of the greatest sci-fi movies ever made. It just was, didn't happen. And you can tell that from his work on these early movies where his style is such a unique experience to witness. And giving him like a huge budget and like all the things he wanted for that for his Dune movie would have been something pretty incredible. But with yeah. that said, you can check out some of his movies now because they're coming out on Blu-ray for the first time. Um, also coming out, Bad Words, Jason Bateman's film. It's okay. Okay. Um, some weird stuff in it, but yeah, it's fun. It's got some, it's got, it's got some clever beats. I enjoyed, it for the most part. Uh, Nymphomaniac Volume One and Two from Lars von Trier, Marcus Robinson's current pick for the best film of the year. Certainly long, Volume One and Two. <laughs> uh, but how I, long reached? Uh, like three hours each? No, they're two hours each. I mean, I I enjoyed it for what it was. I can't say I loved it in the same way I love Melancholia, but um, it's certainly certainly one of von Trier's funniest movies. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> As well as, I can't even say he's most explicit because there's some nasty stuff in Antichrist, but it certainly has a lot of uh, a lot of things going into other things. That's for sure. Mm. Um, can't wait to check it out with my kids. There, yeah, that's 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 what Scott Mendelson said. I think he's saying that right now. <laughs> After I said Nymphomania, he probably wanted to. He's like, I can't wait to check that out with my kids. Um, other things coming out. This is a different version of the same thing. You're gonna hear in a second. Jackass presents Bad Grandpa point five. This is the alternate cut of the film all the jackass movies do this they have a 0.5 version of their movie uh, that's kind of like a lot of alternate stuff that they also film because they film a ton of stuff and this is that yeah. uh, which would probably explain why we saw katherine keener and spike jones in heavy makeup in the credits for bad grandpa but didn't see them in the actual movie this will right those wrongs this will fill in those those dearly departed plot holes that you all really wanted to see the first time around if you want to check that out you, that you, yeah that you necessarily needed to see i'm glad Catherine or kathleen keener is having a good time Catherine Ke- yeah uh and lastly just to point this out and i know brandon peters friend of the show reviewed this for weiss of blue this is lake placid the movie with Bill Pullman, Oliver Platt, and Bridget Fonda. Um, it's them versus a giant crocodile in Maine, and, or an alligator, I don't know. Um, it's coming out via Scream Factory, which has done a great job of kind of bringing back cult favorites and other fun hits. I can't say Colt, Lake Placid's one of my favorites compared to something like Ravenous, which also recently came out via Scream Factory, but certainly a movie that people, a lot of people like quite a bit, and it's, it is a fun one, Lake Placid, so I just wanted to point that one out. Moving on. Uh, what are we going to talk about next week? Next week is time for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, this is, of course, the follow-up to Rise of the Planet of the Apes. And um, <laughs> I was like, I don't think he's slipping up there on purpose. <laughs> um, yeah, and this one, of course, features Andy Serkis back as Caesar, as well as a whole new cast. We've ditched James Franco and Frida Pinto and brought ourselves a Jason Clark, a Carrie Russell, a Gary, a Gary Oldman, and the host of others. I think I believe Rock and Roll is in it, actually, too. Um Oh, Rock and Roll is in it? Yeah. If you guys don't know who Rock and Roll is, go check out Rock and Roll. Uh, it's uh, Toby something. Toby Kebbell. Toby Kebbell. Um, yeah. Who Abe and I are big fans of. Um, yeah. yeah. It's a fun movie. It is. So that movie, um, Donald Planet of the Apes, hits next week. And I'm 
I'm basically at a point of it's either going to be very good or great. So I, I'm very excited for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Okay. So. Get my hopes up here. So yeah, that's what's happening. That's what we'll talk about next week. And uh, yeah, so with all that said, that's going to do it for this week's episode about Now Theron and Abe. Uh, you can find more of my work at thecodazeek.com. That's my blog where you can find all my written movie reviews as well as at whysoblue.com where you can find all my Blu-ray reviews. And you can follow me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe? You can find more fun stuff at walrusmoose.blogspot.com and twitter.com slash walrusmoose. Hashtag Snowpiercer. And you can find all the other episodes about Now Theron and Abe on iTunes and at Stitcher, as well as at hhwld.com. That is the podcast network that hosts our show, along with other shows, including the 24 Jack the Holy Adventure cast, which features myself, Brandon, and Max. We'll talk about every week's new episode of 24, Live Another Day, and Walking Dead TV podcast, and other fun shows about comics and games and cool stuff like that. When does the Ichabod Cranecast come back? Ichabod Cranecast will come back when Sleepy Hollow premieres in the fall, which I believe is in September. That is the alt, the, the other show that I host with Brandon and Maxwell, where we talk about new episodes of the Fox television series Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, you can also find our episodes over at outnow.podomatic.com, as well as our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash outnowpodcast. And, of course, you can email us at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your favorite movies of the year so far, or maybe some of your worst movies of the year so far. You can also interact with us over at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, or you can tweet at us at twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. And you can, of course, follow us on Tumblr, outnowpodcast.tumblr.com, and you can feel free to leave us a voicemail, 972-798-3830. You can call in, uh, let us know, you know, your thoughts in audio form, and be like, hey, cool, we'll play that on the show, perhaps. Yeah, we'll probably put it on the show. I gotta mention one more thing um, that I almost forgot about completely until just now, and I'll, and I'll be mentioning it in the weeks to come as well. Um, Comic-Con is coming up in a few weeks' time, uh, San Diego Comic-Con. I will be there. Of course, Abe should come down, and I could easily get him in if he wanted to, but he won't be there. Um, we'll see. I'll, I'll take a look. I'll keep nudging him. Yeah. But with all that said, with Comic-Con, with, yeah, thank you, with Comic-Con, uh, there is a podcast meetup happening, which I'm going to be at. Um, our friends of the show from Battleship Pretension, Tyler and David, they're having a great podcast meetup on Thursday, July 24th, uh, from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. So anyway, that's at Comic-Con. They can head down to Dublin Square in the Gaslamp District of San Diego, and they can meet up with us, as well as Battleship Retention, the Criterion Cast, Warner Archive, Screamcast, More Than One Lesson, and the Televerse. All those podcasters and others will surely be at this thing where we'll all be hanging out for a couple hours. So for anyone that's going to Comic-Con, um, July 24th at the Dublin Square. Just wanted to point that out now, and I'll be sure to repeat that in days, let alone Comic-Con in general. Like, you know, I'm around. I like saying hi, so just say something. <laughs> you can tell who I am. I have this voice. Um, friend of the show, Alan, will be there too, yeah? Friend of the show, Alan Aguilera, will be there as well, yes. Along with, other, yeah. along with a lot of other people that have actually been on the show occasionally too. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. With all that said, I think that's going to do it this week until next week when we talk about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. And, uh, yeah, so with that being morning. said, that's going to do it for this week. So until and next time, so long. And goodbye. You know, instead of... Waiting for a good day to happen, you know. Waiting around, the ups and downs, you know. I, I just said, look. Oh, hell no. It's still my ring.
my god, so, I watched the we were um, I was with my buddy Scooter, a uh, friend of the show Scooter. And, hey Scooter. Uh, uh he was uh we were we were watching a bunch of stuff for Independence Day after we saw fireworks and we watched the episode uh the the 4th of July Simpsons episode where um where uh, the the Simpsons take uh Flanders Beach House. Uh summer and summer 4 4 feet 2 inches it leaves the episode name. But uh and Lisa like pretends to be cool. Yes, I remember this you know, one. Like Christina Edge, Christina Ricci's and, on that one. Uh, yeah, and they bring in, they bring Millhouse. With they bring Millhouse, and like Homer has the part where he buys illegal fireworks, <laughs> which is an amazing scene. Uh, but, that yes. whole, but that whole episode is just fun. That's that's like I look, and that's the kind of thing where I looked at the DVDs of like I looked at that Simpson DVD, and like every episode on that disc is like this is a classic. Like every single one. Of you, them yeah, one like, you would watch. Yeah, that's like all seven. I remember that one? It's all seven. I remember what, what Millhouse writes in uh, in Lisa's book is like see you in the car and I, sometimes i write that for people that i know on birthday cards as well just because it's like an insert it's an inside joke for me but also it's just because i'm probably going to see them later at dinner or something too <laughs> see you in the car millhouse and he's just like waving geekily <laughs> there's a there's a two-part joke that i really enjoy. we're going to keep talking about the Simpsons episode there's a two-part joke that i really enjoy <laughs> where um or like lisa's with her cool friends and and like the one guy's like my we don't celebrate Independence Day because we're my mom's French so we celebrate Bastille Day and so that's like that's but that's part one the second part is amazing where they're like we could have a beach we could have like a beach party Lisa says and she's like I know where we can you know have a bonfire or something and the one guy's like I know where we can get a whole bunch of baguettes and that made me laugh like way too much <laughs> that's like my new favorite joke from that episode. <laughs> <laughs> it was just so carefully set up. Get a bunch of I forget what happens to Bart in that episode. Is Bart just... gets super jealous because Lisa has all the cool friends and he doesn't. So he like he, he gets the yearbook that Lisa has. Oh right, yes, yeah. It's like all of her nerdiness in there. Oh, yeah, it's, it's got like, all the nerd photos and so stuff. Like, yeah, like a huge prick to Lisa. She gets all sad. It's a good episode. <laughs> The least episodes season of... seven, yeah, season seven is a good uh, season. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, season seven. I mean, like, <laughs> like every, that season, I mean, everything between seasons one and I, I would want to say twelve. Nine, well, yeah, twelve. I mean, it's still funny. Like, I, like nine yeah. to me, nine and even ten are like the glory, the golden years for me of like Simpsons. Yeah, eight's my favorite. Season seven, yeah, the eight. one that I remember from season seven is where Homer meets his mom, and I was like, oh, this is a really sad episode. That's in there, yeah. Yeah, so we love the Simpsons, by the way. I don't know. if you guys know. Season eight's my favorite season by far. It's so season amazing. eight, yeah. yeah. But that's my favorite episode, so that that helps. But Which one? You only move twice with Hank Scorpio. Is that the one where the what? With Hank Scorpio. <laughs> Homer, I like you. Another way out, can you kill as many people as you can? <laughs> if you, it's like cool. if you feel like killing a guy, go it is. Anyway, we'll see how much of that <laughs> Simpsons conversation gets still left in this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, moving on.